Welcome back to the Monday Morning Point Guard Podcast. On today's episode, going to be discussing All-Star Weekend, what were the major successes and major failures. Also going to be discussing TNT's The Ultimate Draft. Uh, they had another All-Star fantasy style type draft, so going to be discussing and taking a deep dive into that. First things the first, I wanted to do another quick segment of the fast break. We just had a Uh, A lot of news for what's normally a pretty slow week news wise in the NBA. Uh, Everything's usually kind of reeling after the trade deadline and the dust is kind of settling. But there were actually some pretty fairly big news stories here this week. Uh, So let's kick things off with the big news that dropped just before the start of the All-Star game. Chris Paul, who played a little bit in the All-Star game, but nobody was really defending him and and there was really no risk for him getting a further injury. But he's going to be out the next six to eight weeks with a fractured thumb. That really sucks for the Phoenix Suns. They're currently sitting atop the league for the with the best record at 48 and 10. There's a good news, though. There's still a really strong chance that they're going to hold on to the best record in the league since they're up six and a half games on the Warriors and the acquisition during the offseason of Alfred Payton and at the trade deadline picking up Aaron Holiday. That's going to soften the blow for losing that point guard. It's not as if they don't have backup point guards there that can kind of fill in. Obviously, nowhere near to the effect of Chris Paul, but it should be enough to kind of keep the ship afloat. And barring a complete disaster, a six and a half game lead for a team as good as the Suns, even without Chris Paul, that should be enough to kind of keep the Wolves at bay. Uh, but the real bummer here is Chris Paul, it, you know, he will be ready to rock for the playoffs, but by the time he comes back, it basically will be playoff time. I guess good news here is you know he's a veteran and a very smart player one of the smartest we've ever seen in the game so it's not as if he's going to be super rusty coming back there may be some rust but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be quite the disaster or it shouldn't be quite the the ramp up program that some other players might need and also the fact that it's a thumb injury he's going to be able to keep his cardio up he's going to be able to stay in shape so while six to eight weeks seems a lot, I, I expect this to be more of a bump in the road for Phoenix as opposed to something that's just going to completely derail their season. So good news for them. Uh, most Suns fans, while it six to eight weeks, again, does seem like a really long time, I think they can take a sigh of relief here. So Zion Williamson, more news on him. Again, with the Zion stuff, I always have to kind of brace for impact anytime I see a news story come out about him because it's never good news. It just never seems to be good news. So word is he's going to need a second surgery on the foot. And this is just a disaster, tragic catastrophe, whatever you want to call it, all of the above. Foot injuries, especially on guys of Zion's body type, are career-altering type things, and especially when it's something that he just can't seem to get over or get moving in a positive direction with. I hope this is a, a case of you know his career being drastically altered or, God forbid, being over, but all the signs are pointing in the wrong direction here. This isn't a case of something like Gordon Hayward where he gets just – a freak injury here and there that'll keep him out for long stretches where he, it just seems like he has bad luck. These are really concerning injuries that keep piling up and keep combining. And if you couple that with the weight issues that he has, it's just not a recipe for success. If you want to check out more of a dive on this, I, I compared him to Sean Kemp and kind of went through Kemp's career. 
uh, check out the Pelicans podcast. I, I did a video on YouTube on them and I uploaded it to Spotify. So that's a deep de- dive on the Pelicans and Zion contentious relationship that they kind of have going on. But for this season, there's a 0% chance we see him come back. I, I think there's a 0% chance he plays this year. And through his first three years, he has played three more games than Greg Oden had at the same point in his career. 85 games for Zion, 82 games for Greg Oden. So in three years, he's basically played one NBA regular season. All hope isn't completely lost, though, to kind of end on a more positive note, at least with the Zion thing. Embiid had only played 31 games through his first three years, but that's the exception, definitely not the rule. So real cause for concern here for Zion fans and NBA fans as a whole. Next story I want to discuss is the T-Mac versus Harden kind of news that we had this week. Just wanted to quickly touch on just the stone cold character assassination that T Mac pulled off this week on James Harden. So the quote, James Harden has been on three teams in two years. He puts on body suits and fakes, fakes injuries. There is no way he can be accepted as a top five shooting guard ever. His character is flawed and all he really cares about is partying and quitting. Just absolutely savage just an absolutely savage shot taken at Harden but was anything that T-Mac really said untrue here I guess the first thing that I that really stuck out to me hard to imagine James Harden not being considered a top five shooting guard of all time but maybe one day I'll do a deeper dive onto that I, I just can't imagine the case that he's not in the top five all time at least for shooting guard um, also worth mentioning here I'm not a huge fan of Harden I hate that he's as a left-handed guy, I hate that he's kind of the representative for left-handed players. So obviously my own bias is going to be all over this in general. I just hate the way he plays. He just seems to play the rules, not the game. I just think it's a really dishonest way to play basketball. Just being a foul mercenary. I like guys who just kind of play the game, play basketball. Uh, so, But as for the rest of it, it's really hard to argue against Harden being a quitter and having character flaws. We've kind of seen this play out throughout his career. He's had some really epic playoff meltdowns and that you could attribute to either the conditioning issues that he has, like maybe you want to give him the benefit of the doubt and he's not choking. You should say, oh, well, he was just gassed down the stretch of games. Well, that speaks to his work ethic and not coming into the season in shape and just kind of playing his way into shape. Or if you want to play the flip side of it and just say that he's a choke artist, well, then the mental toughness side is really in question. Either way, it really speaks to what McGrady said here. I also hate the way that he left Houston. I mean, they catered to his every whim there. They traded players that he didn't like, traded for players that he did like. It just, just based on his wants. And just generally, they treated him like royalty. I get that they needed to retool in Houston, and maybe he didn't want to stick around for that, but to just intentionally show up out of shape and just be a bad soldier and pout and throw a tantrum until they trade you is just extremely disrespectful. It's not as if the Rock has mistreated him during his time there. In fact, they treated him much better than most teams would have, putting up with his antics and kind of his off-the-court stuff, just being 
just the partying and not being focused on the season. Even on the way out the door, the Rockets were still treating him really well by trading him to one of his preferred teams. Fast forward 13, 14 months later, he's doing the exact same thing with the Nets, just totally despicable. It's hard to root for a guy like that, and who's to say he's not going to end up doing the same thing in Philadelphia? I think T-Mac really said what a lot of us were thinking, but if Harden wins a chip in Philadelphia, all of this will go away. Also probably worth mentioning, Tracy McGrady does kind of have a horse in this race. Obviously, he doesn't want Harden to be considered better than him for like a shooting guard swingman type guy. So I, I think it's not entirely unmotivated by T-Mac's own agenda. The last news story I want to get to revolves around the Los Angeles Lakers. And my God, am I sick of talking about the Lakers, but they're just such a train wreck that we in the NBA community just can't look away from this team. And they're always just in the news for some general dysfunction type thing. Uh, this doesn't really attribute to general dysfunction, but Anthony Davis hurt yet again, four weeks with a foot sprain. I mentioned during the Zion part, I'm always kind of worried about guys, especially big guys who have foot injuries. It, it's just never a good sign. This is absolutely going to seal their fate as a play-in team at best. Currently, they're six games back of Denver for that last official playoff spot. And even if they had Davis, this would have been a tall order to get them into that sixth seed. But And especially now, given how they've, completely fell apart defensively without Anthony Davis during the last injury stint. It's just not going to happen. It's not to mention LeBron played out of his mind in some really demanding minutes just to keep the ship from hitting the bottom of the ocean during that last Anthony Davis injury. I wouldn't even say that they kept the ship afloat with LeBron playing out of his mind. It was more just they didn't drag the bottom of the ocean floor uh, so are they going to ask LeBron to do that again, play 40, 45 minutes a game, point guard on offense, center on defense? He's going to need a permanent IV and a motorized scooter come playoff time if that's going to be the case. I know he's a freak of nature, but he is 37 and has logged almost 63,000 minutes if you include playoffs and regular season. That's just too big of an ask for a guy even for LeBron at this age, it's too big of an ask for him to carry this crummy Lakers roster. So if they do try to manage his minutes, it's not even going to look as good as it did during the first Anthony Davis stint. And it didn't look good. So it, it could be a disaster. I mean, it's not inconceivable that they fall out of the play in spot. It is unlikely that that happens. The Blazers are likely to get us going to start tanking along with the rest of the West with the exception of the Kings and Pelicans who are going to try to fight for that last play in spot, but they're four and a half and six games behind the Lakers respectively. So I think the Lakers are going to be able to hold off at least one of those two teams to secure that at least the last play in spot. Unfortunately, though, that wasn't it for the Lakers. A report came out that tensions between GM Rob Palenka and GM LaGM himself, LeBron James, reached a boiling point centered around the Lakers' unwillingness to trade Russell Westbrook and their 2027 first-round pick for John Wall. Uh, LeBron really needs to stick to playing and less GMing. It was he and Anthony Davis who pushed to bring in Russell Westbrook. And here we are, what, six to eight months later, and they're hell bent on pushing him out of the door, uh, Russell Westbrook. LeBron just seems like the type of dude who's like, I'm a great GM. What are you guys talking about? I'm great when I play 2K. I'm great at managing a team there. And look, I'm 5-0 and in all-star games, so I'm obviously a great GM. 
it's just not the case. I talked about previously how it was really questioning how much of an upgrade, if any, John Wall would be on Russell Westbrook. So I really understand Rob Palenka not wanting to trade a potentially very high draft pick since it isn't likely resulting in a title if they pick up Wall. I mean, it might be a marginal upgrade at best. It's definitely not going to put them over the top. And with LeBron obviously leaving, he doesn't care about them keeping that 2027 pick. So I can understand why he was kind of pushing for that. Uh, that pick isn't going to be around to help him. He's either going to be retired or with some other team. The writing is on the wall here with respect to LeBron. So I think next time he makes a demand, they should just tell him to kick rocks and do what's best for the team. It's very unlikely LeBron is signing on after next season for another Lakers go. Um, also, he announced this week that he's planning on playing his last son, or I mean, his last season with his son, Bronny. So wherever that will be, there's almost a 0% chance it's going to be the Lakers. So there's really, it's really unlikely he signs on after this contract. But the real question is now, does the team draft Bronny higher than he's valued at, knowing that you're going to get the LeBron James swan song in like a weird two-for-one package, assuming that Bronny doesn't become like a top-tier draft prospect or a top pick on his own? If you're having a good, if you're, if you have a really good team already and you feel like a 40 ish year old LeBron is going to give you the push over the top for the title, maybe you do trade up for Bronny or maybe you reach for him earlier in the draft, knowing that you're going to get LeBron. Even if Bronny wasn't good enough to be like a real NBA player, that might be a strategy to take. Uh, no idea. Um, no idea if that's going to be the case, what kind of player Bronny is going to be. But I mean, I guess you're getting LeBron James in the package. So why not take a risk on it? So Saturday afternoon before all-star Saturday night, where we get all the skills contests and whatnot, uh, they did, they brought back the ultimate draft, which is something they did in the early 2010s. I want to say, I feel like it was about a decade ago that they did it. And basically they have a bunch of former NBA players, or in this case, they had Quavo and, and Sue Bird and DL Hewley and, and a couple of reporters um, as fake GMs of a fake team. And they do like a fantasy type style draft uh, in a snake order and just take the best players of all time. Um, that was what they did for the last one. This one, they had a little bit of a modification on it where it was the the pool of players was all players from the all of NBA 75 team. And then just to make sure everyone had the same amount of players based on the amount of teams that they had, they added four wild card slots that you could take at any time. But if somebody used a wild card slot or used all four before you got a chance to take a wild card player, that means you didn't get to select one. And just production wise, production value wise from the last time they did this, they've really stepped it up. It was taken a lot more seriously this time. It was, it was the last one was a lot of fun. There was a lot more joking around. It was pretty lighthearted. Um, but this one was a lot more serious and there were a couple still really funny moments throughout here. Um, Dominique Wilkins took himself in the draft and just kind of a funny nugget here. Michael Jordan went third here again. Um, he went third in the 84 draft third, the last time they did this. And then third again here, magic and Larry bird, both fell to the second round Clyde Drexler, who was picked in the third round by Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley's reaction to that pick was just hysterical. He, he basically just ignored him. And Ernie Johnson was trying to pry a response out of Charles. Like, Oh, how did you feel about that pick Charles? And he was just ignoring everyone. He was so mad. Um, Rodman 
was a fourth round selection. And that sounds sort of crazy when you, when you think about it in terms of an all-time draft, but as far as a team building perspective on this, if you're taking it more seriously um, from like a team building perspective, you've got to think about this in terms of like, how many guys are you going to have on this team that really want to take a lot of shots and have the ball a lot. So to draft a guy like Rodman, who is really versatile on defense can pretty much guard any position. And then on the flip side, all he really wants to do is rebound and play defense. Doesn't really want to shoot the ball or have any need to shoot the ball that there's some value in that. So I, I really wasn't too mad about that selection in the fourth round from Quavo. Um, but the funniest part by far for me was Jerry West at the very end, just lambasting everyone and, he kind of seemed to point the finger at Ernie Johnson, even though I'm sure he had nothing to do with the rules for this thing, but he was mad that he didn't get to select Draymond Green with a wild card pick because the wild card picks were already off the board and he was just really letting them have it over that. Um, and then scoring wise, how they determined the winner. So last time I believe they did like a Twitter poll or had the fans vote. It was something like that where the fans voted on, on who won the competition or who had the best team, whose team would win in like a tournament style scenario or something like that. Um, but in this case, they actually had analytics determine it and they didn't really get into the specifics on how the calculation or the algorithm was made and what was valued or how it valued certain players. They didn't really get into any of that. Um, but th there was a, a bit more scientific this time, I would say, than to just have it basically be a popularity contest. So I, I kind of like that, but I would have liked to have known a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of that algorithm, but maybe I'm just a nerd that way. I don't know. Um, yeah. So as I mentioned, the, the contestants here, Dominique Wilkins, Jerry West, uh, Shams Sarania, Chris Haynes were a team, those two together. Sue Bird was a team, the inside the NBA group with, um, Charles Barkley, Shaq, and Kenny. Uh, that was a team. And then they had the NBA TNT Tuesday crew. I can't remember the host of that show's name, but it was also Candace Parker and Dwayne Wade were along with him for a team. Um, and then you had Quavo as a team and D.L. Hewley, who is a comedian that I'm not familiar with. He was also a team. Uh, and that was the order that they picked in. For those on YouTube, I'll throw up like the um, draft summary or at least like who had who on each team. Um, but for the folks on Spotify, I encourage you to just look it up rather than to hear me just rattle it off real quick and, and nobody, I doubt anyone's taking notes on this, so it won't really be too helpful. But, uh, before they announced the results, I, uh, made some predictions. I paused my YouTube TV broadcast of it and just wrote down who I thought would be the top three and the top and the bottom three. And in what order, uh, didn't really care as much about the middle, but. I had um, the NBA Tuesday crew as the number one team. Jerry West is number one. Uh, I'm sorry, is number two. And then the Shams Sarania team and Chris Haynes as the number three group. Bottom three, I had Sue Bird in last, D.L. Hewley in second to last, and the inside the NBA crew in third to last. And how the results actually played out, I was pretty much spot on. Um, I was one spot off on the top three, and but I nailed the bottom three. So how the scoring actually went is the NBA Tuesday crew one, Jerry West second. Dominique Wilkins, three, uh, the according to sources group, which was the Chris Haynes and Shams team, uh, they were fourth, Quavo fifth, inside the NBA sixth, D.L. Hewley seventh, and Sue Bird last. Uh, so really close there on the predictions. I was kind of proud of myself for that. And in general, like for this weekend, I've, I've done really well with my predictions. Um, so to kind of give some analysis on the teams, if you're looking at the rosters that everyone put together, 
uh, I'll kind of go through in reverse order. So start with the last place team and, and kind of explain why they got last, why they didn't do as well. Um, Sue Bird's team, they didn't have a defensive center. And for today's league and today's league, the way she constructed this team would have been totally fine. Um, but going up against guys like Shaq, Wilt, Kareem, Hakeem Olajuwon, particularly Shaq and Wilt Chamberlain, uh, that just wouldn't work. Kevin Garnett and Anthony Davis were like her primary post defenders, I would say just based on what she has on the roster. I guess you have Nikola Jokic, but he's a good defensive player now. But as far as holding up against the physicality of a Shaquille O'Neal or Wilt Chamberlain, like they would just get eaten alive inside, particularly with Anthony Davis looking like the tin man lately or the glass man rather. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think that would work. Offensively though, and obviously on the fast break, I think this is probably the best team. I mean, just having playmakers like LeBron Nash, Jokic, Pistol Pete, uh, Larry Bird, that's just by far the best passing group. And then with targets to throw to like James Worthy, Garnett and Anthony Davis, that would be really tough to deal with offensively, but just no real low post defense in terms of like a traditional post up player. It would be it would be tough against the physically imposing bigs that you're having to go up against in this scenario. Um the second to last was D.L. Healy's team. He just didn't have any wing defenders. I mean, he has Tracy McGrady, and from what I remember, he was an okay defensive player. I mean, just his size makes him fairly decent, but him being the sole wing defender here, it, it would be really tough. It would be really tough for them going up against some all-time greats. Um, low post scoring wise and defensively though, this team with the exception of the wing, this team would be a nightmare having a dual anchors of Akeem Olajuwon and Tim Duncan. And then scoring wise, you're also adding McHale and Dirk Nowitzki, Bill Walton. Like that would be, that would be really tough to deal with front court wise. This was the best team. And Jerry Lucas, I don't know a ton about him since he was way before my time. He was the last pick for DL Healy. I know he was a power forward. He could hit some mid range stuff and had some really crazy rebounding nights. So um, yeah, that, that would have been a really tough team to deal with front court wise. And then Jason Kidd and Gary Payton as your, as your backcourt, even defensively, that would be really, that would be really special. Um, and then playmaking wise, Kidd, Payton, Bill Walton, that's really good. Uh, the inside the NBA crew was third to last and they had a fairly decent draft, except I think taking Dwayne Wade in the second round, particularly with the third pick in the second round. I think that was a bit of a stretch. They probably could have waited on him to the third round, maybe even the fourth round to get him. But the real killer for them, um, you know, was Clyde Drexler in the third round. That's just absurd. He was a really good player, but not that good. And despite having a really pretty solid draft outside of those two picks, Missing on two of your first three picks, or I get, it's hard to say missing in an all-time great draft, but reaching for a couple of guys with your first, with two of your first three picks that are players. So obviously they're getting some good, good production there from him, and and just a solid team overall. I mean, they have Cowens and Reggie Miller, Nate Archibald, Wes Unsell, um, Isaiah Thomas. It, it's a good team, but just not as good as the other teams, and they really squandered. The, at the top half of this draft, they really didn't do as good of a job as they could have. Even Cowens in the fifth round was a bit of a reach for, especially in the all NBA 75, it's really big man heavy. So you can get good big men like Cowens later on um, solid big men, but I, you know, I, I don't begrudge them for taking Kareem first round. If you're going to get one of those all time type centers, I think it's fine to take them in the first round, but just for center depth, you can wait till the back half of the draft to get that. Um, rather than using like a starting player type pick on it. Uh, let's see here. Quavo's team. 
I don't know that they would win that much in this scenario. They have Steph Curry, Allen Iverson as the backcourt. Um, Russell Westbrook to kind of round out the backcourt. Rodman and Giannis as the low post guys. And then you've got Dr. J, George Gervin as your wing threats. Um, yeah, I don't know that they'd win a lot of games, but I think this was the most fun team by far. And Quavo's goal for the draft was to draft the, the swaggiest team, like the most flashy team, the most fun team. So I think in terms of his goals for the draft, well, since they weren't winning, I think he accomplished his goals more than any of the other teams, even the inside the NBA Tuesday crew who ended up winning the whole thing. I still don't think they accomplished their goals quite to the level that Quavo did. So good on him. And this would be a, a blast of a team to watch. I mean, just a lot of fun. Um, the Shams team, I, the Shams Sarania team, the, according to sources group, I think they should have been the runaway favorite based on their top four picks in particular. They really nailed the top half of the draft, but they really fell apart towards the end. Um, you'd, outside of Bill Russell, if you're looking at this team, they really don't have any low post defense. I know Bill Russell is one of the greatest defenders of all time, but he's really all they've got. And they have Chris Bosh, who I know holds up okay on centers, but that was in an era that was pretty devoid of any center talent. And if you're asking him, even in a backup role, so he backup wise, even if he's only playing against backup centers in this draft, you're, you're playing against guys like David Robinson, Patrick Ewing. Uh, Dave Cowens, I mentioned Robert Parrish, like he's going to get eaten alive in that scenario. He's really better suited as like a secondary big man for something, something like this, a guy who can stretch the floor for your main low post threat. And to have Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Bill Russell, Kawhi Leonard as your four, first four picks, like they nailed it. I, I, when they were drafting, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're going to run away with this thing. And even Ray Allen as your fifth pick to kind of stretch the floor for this group, that would have really been good for them if they had actually, obviously this is all fake, but if they're actually playing the games like that, that's a really good fit. But the, the, the mistake that killed them is they took Damian Lillard instead of David Robinson, who was the next pick. If they end up taking Robinson instead of Lillard, I think they run away with this thing because that solves all their problems as far as backup post play goes. Um, next up in third place with Dominique Wilkins. I mentioned he took him took himself first, um, likely what cost him the competition. It was a really funny moment either way. He said he was just wanting to make sure that he got drafted. But since all of the all NBA 75 guys got drafted, there was no way he wasn't getting picked. Uh, but he did a really decent job of kind of building a team around himself. Uh, a Harden and Oscar Robertson backcourt would have been really cool to see. And then you got a big man trio of Moses Malone, Carl Malone, Patrick Ewing. That would have been downright nasty scoring wise and really defensively. Both Malone and Ewing also too can play alongside Moses, at least in this context, due to their ability to shoot the mid-range shot really effectively. So for something like this, where you're going to be playing a lot of teams with twin towers and some of these centers aren't as mobile, I think having guys like Ewing and Malone to stretch the floor a little bit would really help out. Uh, Jerry West team, second place. I thought he had the most complete team in the draft. Maybe not the best, but definitely the most complete from a roster construction standpoint. Um, Wilt Chamberlain and David Robinson, two of the most athletic centers in the history of the league. To get both of them on your team is really crazy. That's not even mentioning Nate Thurmond, who I don't really know a lot about, but I know he was the first player ever to record a quadruple double. And then you've also got another player on your roster who has done that in David Robinson. And then you're adding Charles Barkley to those big guys. You're going to be pretty much controlling the glass, no matter what anybody else has out there on the floor. Uh, wings of Kobe, uh, John Havlicek, Elgin Baylor, 
And then you're pairing that with the all-time assist leader and all-time steals leader in John Stockton, where he's just able to feed everyone. It isn't relied on at all for scoring. That's just a really good team. But I think the one thing that sealed their fate, they don't have a backup point guard. They don't have anybody who can run the point in the backup. I guess you could have Kobe do it or Elgin Baylor maybe, but I, I think that would be really tough, especially in this all-time draft context. But really solid team overall. The best team, though, the team that would would win this, uh, both by the analytics and my own analysis here, was the Tuesday crew. And if you think about this team in terms of the context of the Dwight Howard Orlando group, like this team really starts to look scary. So in for the Dwight Howard slot for the the way that Orlando offense was run, you've got Shaquille O'Neal, far and away a much better offensive player. Maybe not the defensive player that Dwight Howard is, but still, at least in his prime, Shaq was a very good defensive player uh, to great, I would say. And then instead of Rashard Lewis, you've got Kevin Durant in that slot. Like that would just be nuts. Then you've got for point guards instead of Jameer Nelson, who was really good for them, but nowhere near the level of player that you're you're getting out of Jerry West, Bob Cousy, and Chris Paul, three of the greatest distributors and excellent scoring sources for your offense. And then particularly with West and Chris Paul, they were nasty on defense, just outright nasty. Chris Paul still is pretty, pretty nasty on defense, not like he was in his prime. And then you're adding to that. You've got Scottie Pippen and Clay Thompson as your wings defensively. And then they don't really need the ball a whole lot. Pippen's able to do some creation stuff, but Clay Thompson doesn't need to handle the ball at all. He's just going to spread the floor out for Shaq and best player more than this group. They really did a great job capitalizing on their best player in Shaq in their first pick. They really built a team around him with the centerpiece. They weren't just grabbing good players as a lot of the other teams were doing. So that might be why the analytics favored them. That's certainly why I favored them. I looked at this in terms of like, how would a team like this actually play? And for me, the Tuesday crew of the NBA TNT crew, just it, it just made the most sense from a roster construction standpoint. So Friday night kicked off All-Star Weekend with the Celebrity Game and the Rising Stars Challenge. And with regards to the Celebrity Game, this was a fever dream from start to finish. It feels like it is every year, but this year especially just felt like pure insanity. I was only sort of half paying attention to the game itself, but just in general, nobody really seemed to know the rules and including the, that was including like the event coordinators. They were very confused as to what were going, what was going on. So I really appreciate the effort on behalf of, I guess the NBA. I'm not sure if it's them who actually decides the rules for this stuff, but I really appreciate the effort on whoever was the decision maker here, making the world's most complicated game of basketball for a bunch of non-basketball players. So just hilarity throughout the night. Also to go along with that, Kendrick Perkins and Richard Jefferson just taking passive aggressive shots, I want to say, but in most cases, it was just kind of outright aggressive um, back and forth banter from them. Richard Jefferson was just all over Kendrick Perkins about his weight. And, and meanwhile, the poor play-by-play lady, I, I can't remember what her name was. She was just face palming all over the place and trying to keep some sense of sanity to the broadcast. But this thing just went off the rails really early on. Um, I really just enjoy the anarchy of this whole event. There was a two-minute power play that was decided on the basis of like a miniature skills challenge between the two teams of celebrities and it resulted in like a two minute power play at the start of the second quarter. So a four on five, which is just insanity for basketball. There was a 
four point shot available. And that's especially hilarious because nobody that's out there really has any general sense of, or, of where they are at on a basketball court or, or just court awareness. Also worth mentioning just on behalf of the celebrities, I'm sure some of them at least are very good in like pickup game scenarios at their local Y or, or whatever, just smaller gyms. It's a lot harder to shoot in a big arena like that when you're not used to that. Um, just, when you have the walls kind of close in, it's a lot easier to depth perception wise than when you get into a big arena when you're not used to it. So it just really messes up the shot when you have no idea kind of where you're at on the court a, and then B you, it just doesn't look like what you're used to it looking like. Um, also there was a four point lead to start the game for the team that won the world's worst three point contest. Anderson Verjao versus Miles Garrett in a three point shot contest is just really rough they made three shots between the two in a total of one minute that's really it was really tough to watch it was just brick after brick and honestly for Garrett I thought they should have started counting some as long as he just hit the rim um, interesting choices by both coaches there uh, Dominique Wilkins and Bill Walton to throw Anderson Marichal and Miles Garrett out there for the three-point contest. This was another case of nobody really knowing the rules here. I think the idea was they were supposed to be shooting from behind the four-point line, but nobody really seemed to, and we were counting shots with, you know, regardless of whether they were behind the line or in front of it. And, and speaking of that four-point shot, come on, Ruffles. $4,000 donated to charity for every four point shot make from made from the celebrities. That's just not enough money. I know Jack Harlow hit a couple, but I, it was just him getting lucky. His jump shot looks like a toddler trying to shoot on a 10 foot hoop. You know, like when during halftime of like a middle school game or like a high school game in the summer where there's nothing going on at halftime and, and the teams go to the bench and they let the kids kind of roll the ball out there and just shoot around a little bit in between timeouts or whatever. And then there's inevitably like a kid who's way too small to get the ball to the goal on a 10 foot hoop. That's what Jack Harlow's jump shot looks like. It looks like it takes every ounce of strength for him to get it to the rim. And I also just can't believe that they carted Bill Walton out here for this. He had no idea who any of the celebrities were, and he just kind of meandered around at times. There was no one to kind of keep him contained. He always says some weird stuff, too, and they had him mic'd up for a little bit, which was hilarious. It looked like Grandpa Simpson uh, at times just because – in between timeouts and like quarter changes where they were doing some weird nonsense, be it the skills competition or otherwise, he would just kind of wander around out in the middle of the court. It was really hilarious. This game really gets ugly at times. So it's nice to see some professional athletes out there in terms of the football players. I'm really not sure what the former NBA players and WNBA players add. It's a weird spot for them to be in. They're never really sure how hard they need to try and they don't want to dominate things too much and kind of a charity type game situation. So it just ends up being really underwhelming on their part. If I would be all for like a former player game, sort of like the big three, but for guys who don't necessarily want to sign up for all of that, just let them have one quick game during the all-star game. I, I would be all for like a former player game and then not to be too mean to the WNBA, but honestly, I, I don't see why we need to shoehorn them into this. If anybody wants to watch the WNBA, they can 
without the confines of a celebrity game. It's I, I guess it's a promotional thing, but I don't think it does a really great job of showcasing what they can do. As far as the professional athletes go, I understand wanting to get like the local NFL team involved here in the, in the celebrity game, but could they have picked two worse Cleveland Browns to represent that team as far as public perception goes. Kareem Hunt is likely still on the Chiefs had he not shoved a girl to the ground in a hotel room or a hotel hallway. And then Miles Garrett nearly killed somebody on the football field, nearly killed Mason Rudolph by clubbing him over the head with his own helmet. That was only a couple of years ago. So just really, really strange to select those two Cleveland Browns. Maybe they're the only two that wanted to sign up for this. I have no idea, but I think they could have probably gotten some better representation for the for the Browns organization. And speaking of Miles Garrett, Machine Gun Kelly needs his head examined. He nearly got killed by Miles Garrett tonight on a dunk attempt. And then after that, and after Garrett had blocked a shot at some point in the game, Machine Gun Kelly was kind of jawing at him. And I couldn't tell what was said, but it sure didn't look very friendly. Uh, luckily for Machine Gun Kelly, Garrett just sort of ignored him and kind of walked around him. Um, yeah, just in the last 12 months, Machine Gun Kelly tried to pick a fight with Conor McGregor and now Miles Garrett. Uh, Miles Garrett probably could have rolled him into a, like a paper ball and shot him into the hoop. <laughs> <laughs> like a like a Looney Tunes cartoon or something. So he needs to be careful with who he's picking fights with. If, if he keeps going after the wrong people, somebody's eventually just going to break him in half like Bane did to Batman in the, in the Batman movie. So for the Rising Stars game, I, I absolutely love the new format. The first game, it was a little rough effort-wise at the beginning, but once it got close down the stretch, like was, as they were approaching 50 points, uh, everything intensity wise defense wise got dialed up from there and it persisted throughout the rest of the game so game two the whole game was really intense and competitive and then obviously the championship round as well format wise just a quick recap for those who didn't watch you do there was four teams involved four teams that were drafted by members of the all nba 75 team so we had gary payton james worthy isaiah thomas and rick barry and there would be two games, both going to 50, and then the winners of those games would play in the championship round in a game to 25 with a Clorox Clutch Challenge in between. Uh, I actually kind of liked the Clorox Clutch Challenge. That's a real tongue twister. It would have been better, though, if they had to recreate the actual shots from those iconic playoff moments instead of just shooting from the spot as much as I loved seeing Scotty Barnes miss six layups in a row I would have rather seen some guys try to do the baby hook or like backpedal into the Ray Allen three just some some different stuff really having to recreate the shot rather than just just shooting from that spot but it was nice they showed why each spot was chosen so I, it was pretty cool Cade and Cade Cunningham is up winning MVP that's kind of whatever I would have taken Evan Mobley but I'm really not too mad about it he was a good selection um, he did hit the shot to kind of seal the game pseudo seal it he was the last field goal in the championship round hit a big three and then it was ended on free throws it was really difficult for me to find like a draft summary but I eventually did, and it was a little bizarre, but not as bizarre as I would have thought it would have been from a couple of, you know, out of touch uh, former NBA players. It's tough to ask them to draft of like a bunch of young guys who they may not have even seen play, uh, but they did a fairly good job. It was a snake order draft and 
Um, Anthony Edwards went one, Evan Mobley two, LaMelo Ball three, Cole Anthony four, which I thought was a bit of a stretch from him, from James Worthy, um, especially given what happens later. Cade Cunningham goes seventh. Tyrese Halliburton, this was the one I could not believe. He was the 17th pick in the in a pick in the fifth round. That's just insane to me. When I saw that him and Anthony Edwards were on the same team and I knew that Edwards was the first, first overall pick, I was like, someone really messed up here. Like, there's no way that Halliburton should have made it back to Isaiah Thomas in the second round after a full second round. But no, he was actually in a, a fifth round pick. I can't imagine the case for taking guys like Jaden McDaniels, Sadiq Bay, Jay Sean Tate, or Isaiah Stewart over Halliburton. I like all of those players, but they're more role players than they are, you know, really solid key contributing members of a team like Halliburton is. And to kind of go along with the team construction thing, I was just really surprised to see uh, Mobley and Cade Cunningham get paired together. And then obviously the Halliburton and Anthony Edwards combo. I feel like even if Cade and Halliburton weren't first round guys for this draft, that's fine. But I thought they should have been the first two off the board in the second round based on who was kind of picked around them. The, the rest of it, I could probably go through and find little disagreements here or there, but I would just kind of be nitpicking. For me, the Halliburton thing was just the most insane part of this. I guess just playing in Sacramento is a rough life. Nobody knows who you are. Indiana isn't exactly, or Indianapolis isn't exactly, you know, in the national media spotlight. That's where he's at now, but at least we might get to see him make some noise in the playoffs at some point. So it is a little bit better of a situation to be in than in Sacramento. Uh, also, strange choices for coaches. I kind of mentioned some strange choices in the celebrity game as far as a couple of the Browns players involved. thought that the two of the coaches here were strange choices and Isaiah Thomas and Rick Barry. Isaiah Thomas has had some sexual harassment issues in the back going back to his time with the Knicks when he was in the front office. And honestly, he was just a terrible GM altogether while he was there. And then Rick Barry is just a huge jerk from everything that I've read about him. And he said some really questionable things when it comes to race not that long ago, like in the 80s, I'm thinking about in particular. And I'm saying questionable as the best case scenario, outright offensive in the worst case scenario. So Really weird to see them two um, out there, but ironically, they were really well behaved, and it was actually James Worthy who dropped an F-bomb on a live mic, which was hilarious, and then Desmond Bain later when they were interviewing him after the, the clutch challenge, uh, he cursed during that interview too so lots of fun to be had there listening to that brick berry has passed issues aside he's really spry and kind of sharp for a 77 year old guy and i want to give him some props here it really appeared he was coaching the guys particularly that g league guy that was on his team he was really it seemed like engaged and trying to coach him up and give him some good tips and and information um kind of going forward as he enters his career. So it was nice to see the older older generation kind of giving back to the up-and-coming young guys. Um, yeah, I mentioned how much I love the new format. It really it really bred a competitive atmosphere here, um, and it was a lot of fun. But how great have the last two draft classes been? I really didn't feel like any of these guys didn't belong in this game or don't belong in the NBA like I have in past years. Everybody has shown promise here at some point, whether it's been recently or earlier, you know, depending on their injuries. Jalen Green looked really good. Cade Cunningham obviously did. He won the MVP. And then Evan Mobley was awesome in this and has just been awesome in general all year. Those are the top three picks in this most recent draft. 
I haven't seen a lot of Josh Giddy play this year since I'm blocked from the Oklahoma City games based on where I live and I don't get to watch them on TV again based on where I live. I don't know. The NBA needs to look at that. There's no reason I shouldn't be able to watch the Oklahoma City games when I don't have the opportunity to watch them on local television either, even if I had like the correct cable package. Um, but I, I'm really impressed with Josh Giddy's playmaking and he's been killing it this season too. The less said about Scotty Barnes tonight, the better, but jokes aside, he's looked really good all year. And just the top eight picks that were in the draft, this past draft, Jalen Suggs has been sort of a disappointment this year, but he's had some injuries and some other issues. So it's not inconceivable that he would be able to turn it around at some point. And that's really the top eight picks in the draft. They've all looked really good. And we don't get to say that most years. We don't need get to say that most guys are at least contributing members to an NBA team, if not stars. We don't ever get to say that about the first top eight picks. And of the sophomore guys, Anthony Edwards didn't really do anything tonight, but he's having a breakout year. LaMelo Ball is obviously awesome. He's an all-star this season. And Halliburton is just really, really good. Has been the center of a a pretty controversial trade and I, I he's going to do great for great things for Indiana. I'm really excited for him and for them. Um, and just for each team in general to have a really elite playmaker creator type and Giddy Halliburton, LaMelo and Cade, they were all spread out amongst the four teams. It's really impressive in and of itself to have four guys in the last two draft classes who who are have that skill playmaking. That's kind of that pass first point guard has kind of been a dying position in the league. And they're kind of, while not necessarily all point guards, they are all really special passers. I'm not going to go through each and every guy that played in this game. I just, in general, felt like everyone belonged and has a future in the NBA. And I know in the past, I've not always felt that way about this game. Uh, the league just in general and really great hands going forward here. So All-Star Saturday night in the NBA was just a big old L. It was a big L for the NBA and just really disappointing for NBA fans in general. That seemed to be the reaction on Twitter as well as my own. Just a really disappointing night. And this is typically the most exciting night, at least in my opinion. In the past, we've gotten some questionable effort, not so much lately, but in the past, we had some really questionable effort uh, from the all-star game but the new format seems to have breathed new life into that so that's been really fun as of late but I really like and look forward to you know these particular contests that they do but it was just really boring and really disappointing uh, going into this I made a couple of predictions I love to make predictions for this stuff it, it's really fun for me um i always look for players or i guess in this case teams that have something on the line so i took the Cavs in the skills contest just because playing in front of the home crowd they kind of had the most to prove out of the other teams so i knew they were going to really try and for a lot of these contests that's like most of it is like who's actually going to try um so i had them carl anthony towns with all the comments he's made about wanting to be recognized as the greatest shooting big man of all time. I knew he was going to show out for the three-point contest, and he did. Uh, Jalen Green has had kind of a rocky rookie year, I want to say. He's definitely been overshadowed by a lot of the other rookies, so I really expected him to show out in the dunk contest, and boy, was I wrong about that one. But let's get into kind of a breakdown of the whole night here. So we started out with the skills contest, which we always do, and I guess the new format is fun. I, I like that there are multiple components 
to it and multiple skills. They sort of combined the old, the old skills contest with the old rising stars challenge. And for those who don't remember what that is, it was that contest where they'd have like a city represented by a former NBA player current player and then the WNBA player from that particular city and they compete in like a shooting contest where it was a time trial on having to hit shots from certain spots and they could kind of decide who they wanted taking what shot based on the player's skill sets and and that was a lot of fun I really missed that event but they combined it here and the first contest was sort of looking like that rising stars challenge and then they did a passing contest and they did the old obstacle course and Whoever won a certain amount of those challenges, like I think the first two were worth 100 points and then the obstacle course was worth 200 points. So whoever advanced through that would get to the championship round. And even the the way that that was designed was really ridiculous. So um, if you win the final of those three challenges, you just advance the championship round. So we had a different team win each one. So the rookies won the obstacle course. So they automatically advanced, even though they won the same amount of challenges, the other two. So the team at Tenacumpo and um, team Cavs were tied. So you would expect them to maybe, Oh, let's send your best, your best player through the obstacle course again. And, and best time moves on. no, they didn't do that. They were just like, okay, we're going to match shot for shot. So Thanasis, you're up against Darius Garland. Good luck. And so Thanasis bricks the first shot because he's a terrible shooter. And then Darius Garland bar- buries it and ca- Team Cavs moves on. Really anticlimactic. But not as anticlimactic as the championship round, which I guess they just ran out of ideas. So they're like, ah, screw it. We'll just have them take a half court shot. First team to make a half court shot, you win the skills challenge the skills challenge based on a half court shot. Yeah. I thought it was really dumb, really stupid, really anticlimactic. And then also just another complaint about the skills challenges. My God, it just took forever. It just drug on what seemed like forever. And there was really a much better way to do this. So rather than do three preliminary, like first round skills contests, why not do the shooting and the passing And then whoever wins the shooting in the first preliminary, they move on to the championship round. Then the remaining two teams do the passing contest that they did. And then whoever wins that moves on to the championship round. And then you do the the relay obstacle course race for the championship. That would be way more fun than just like, uh, forget it. We're out of ideas. Just take a half court shot. Whoever makes it first wins that it's just, it was ridiculous and boring and anticlimactic. So that was kind of hit and miss, uh, you know, good and bad with the skills contest. Uh, Then we had this really weird promotional thing for a a game show that I guess the Curry's are putting on Steph Curry and Aisha Curry. I didn't, I guess they're really leaning into the game show thing. I know Curry had some miniature golf, reality show or or game show whatever you want to call it um so i guess they're kind of venturing off into that but to promote it they brought out steph and aisha and two chains and his wife blindfolded everybody and then asked them a series of questions and gave each person two colors of gatorade one representing themselves and one representing their partner and then it'd be like, who is most likely to do X? Who makes the funniest noises? Who acts like Charles Barkley? I think were some of the questions. Um, 
and they would they would take a drink of which person they thought was most likely to do that with either themselves or their partner and if both players like both spouses guessed the same person they would get a point uh really weird place to do something like that for an nba all-star event i everybody was really confused i was confused I had no idea what was going on. It's like something you'd see at like a bridal shower or something like that. I don't know why we needed that, but if we were going to have that, there was, again, a much better way to do this. Why not bring out Charles Barkley and Shaq as a couple to compete? And they could have competed against Kevin Durant and James Harden. That would have been really hilarious and really fun. Maybe don't tell anyone beforehand that they're participating in that and just call them out to center court and make them do it spontaneously. That would have been really funny. Um, yeah, I, there's a 0% chance I watched the show based on that promotion. Not that I was really ever going to watch the show. I didn't even know it existed until last night. So I guess mission accomplished for them. They, they you know, got some public awareness about the show. But based on the promotion, oh, no, I'm not going to waste my time watching that. So then we moved on to the three-point contest. And that was pretty fun, I guess. I mean, pretty standard. Um, I really like what they've added to this contest over the years. So they added like a, an entirely money ball rack that's worth more points and each contestant could choose which rack they would like to have only money balls on. And then with the emergence of guys like Curry and Trey young taking these really deep threes, they've added like this do zone three, which is worth three points as opposed to one or two in the case of the money ball. And I really like that too. I think that's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, this is the best event we have now. It just is. Um, it, it was a lot of fun and and Carl Anthony Towns ended up taking it. He went on a streak, but you know, it, it can only ever be so exciting watching guys take wide open shots. It was really fun, but it, it's not, it doesn't have the potential to be as fun as the dunk contest. So in between the dunk contest and the three point contest, we got this kind of weird, whatever DJ Khaled performance. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, for what it was, I think it was tough for them to follow up the nostalgia bomb that we got for the Super Bowl halftime show. But this show, this halftime show kind of scratched that itch a little bit. They brought out Lil Wayne and Ludacris. I, I was kind of in and out of the room at that time. So I missed the beginning of it. But I saw Lil Wayne come out, who was just terrible, by the way, just absolutely awful. He uh, was really off rhythm, off beat, just didn't really have the timing right. But Ludacris was really solid and I wasn't expecting him to come out there. So as I said, it, it was fine. It was an entertaining show, but just really tough to follow up the Super Bowl halftime show with that. Um, and DJ Khaled is like a live performer is just kind of tough because he's just kind of out there screaming. He's fun. He's really fun as a producer, but as a live performer, there's just not a lot that he really brings to the table. Uh, and then we got the dunk contest after that. And this is supposed to be the headline event of the night. As I mentioned, I took Jalen Green here. I was epically wrong about the Jalen Green prediction. He uh, took what felt like 30 minutes to get the first dunk in, or maybe it was second dunk. I can't remember. By the time he finally put a dunk in the hoop uh, and finally got a score for something, it was just the whole life of this contest had been kind of sucked out of the room and the crowd was out of it. Everyone lost their attention. The judges were annoyed. It was just 
it was just not fun. There was kind of a weird moment I do want to mention before uh, the dunk contest got started. I was kind of half paying attention. And then there was just like this old man that was on the court or like in the judge's seat. And they just like yanked him off and like ran away with him. I don't know if it was like a fan who wandered onto the court or some production team guy who was just in a place he shouldn't have been. But either way, that was really funny. That was by far the most exciting part of the contest. Um I feel bad for Obi Toppin, though, because he actually had some really creative dunks, some really fun dunks. I don't think he would have won necessarily if we had had a really good dunk contest, but he showed out. He did well. It's just no one else did. No one else did. I, I guess Cole Anthony had an OK dunk and then he missed his second attempt. So he was eliminated. And then the championship round uh Juan Toscano Anderson had like a he tried to honey dip I think he seemed to just overestimate how high he could jump he didn't seem to have the vertical to pull off what he was trying to pull off so he tries to honey dip and it ends up just being this really bland windmill and that just that was the first dunk of the championship round and by that time all hope was lost that this would be entertaining and it yeah it was it was whatever Obi Toppin just kind of won by default just based on what everyone else did so it was just not fun it was to put it mildly really boring the crowd was bored out of their mind it it felt like they were doing it at an empty arena and it seemed like that was a packed house from what i could see or at least there was enough people in the stands that you would hear some crowd noise but i guess everyone was occupied with their phones rather than watching the competition and i i don't blame them it was it was rough um, how do they fix this event? How, how would they fix this going forward? Uh, I have no idea. I have no earthly idea how they would fix this since nobody seems to want to do it. Uh, maybe they should just give each player's team who wins, like the player, the player's team who wins the contest, give them an extra win or an extra loss, depending on what the team wants. Um, that's an idea uh that's kind of a joking idea my more serious idea would be let's treat this more like the olympics let's rotate this out with some other events maybe you could do the dunk contest at most every other year maybe every once every three years or once every four years and just rotate it in and out that way people start to miss it people the players start to miss it fans start to miss it and give guys a chance to kind of come up with some cool dunks because there's only so many ways that you can dunk the basketball and for guys particularly who are trying to compete and win games they're not thinking about oh geez what cool dunks can i do for the dunk contest they're busy practicing actually working on their skills and improving and they might take a couple days or a day before the dunk contest to try and come up with some cool stuff to do. And so much has been done already. It's hard to come up with a new fresh idea for that. So I I don't blame them for kind of struggling to do this. And with how maligned it's been in the past few years, I don't blame anyone for not wanting to do it. So maybe if you don't do it as often, that brings the excitement back and brings some anticipation. So you're like, oh, this is the year we finally have the dunk contest. It's finally back, kind of like the Olympics. I think if you did the Olympics every year, I think people would grow tired of it. So they do it at once every four years and everybody gets really excited about it all over again. So they did that with the dunk contest. That could be pretty cool if you rotate that in with like a one-on-one contest or like a king of the court thing. Uh, maybe you could do horse, you could do, you could do stuff like that. And I think that would be really fun. 
and just rotate those in and out, rotate those type of competitions in and out. And that can maybe breathe some new life back into the dunk contest. Other than that, I don't think they can keep going as they're going. I think they've got to change the rules, but when they tried to make it like a team East versus West thing, I, maybe that's not what they did, but I remember there was a team dunk contest where like John Wall, Paul George, and somebody else were on a team for the dunk contest. And that was weird. And that was boring too so i don't really know how you change the rules enough to make this exciting other than to just not do it every year that's really all i've got last up for all-star weekend was the all-star game on sunday night just a really awesome game a lot of fun it was exactly what you would expect and want from an all-star game just a, a really great time uh to kick things off though we had machine gun kelly who was a really weird choice for mc i know he's from cleveland and I think no one is more excited about that fact than himself. So it was, it was just weird. He kind of tried to do this stand up routine, I guess, but I couldn't tell if he was being serious or not. And it just landed really flat. I don't think a single solitary soul in the crowd laughed at any of his jokes, be it the Avengers joke or really anything else. Maybe, maybe his self-deprecating joke of how good he is at basketball. Yeah. It was just, it was really bizarre. Also a little bit more criticism for TNT here. I like the idea of having two broadcasts, like a more serious one for something like this. And then just the inside crew, just kind of shooting the shit. Um, but I brought a big TV for a reason. I want to be able to watch the game on my big TV. So I don't want to have to just sit there and watch Draymond Green kind of meander and walk around and have a camera on the guys for the TNT crew just kind of sitting there. I don't need to see Charles Barkley sitting at a chair for 48 minutes or, or longer in this case. It, so I would have rather just had the audio from those guys and seen the game on the full screen, but they cut it up in like this weird system so i just i went back to the normal broadcast because i wanted to watch the the game somewhat normally at least size wise on the tv uh so first half was a lot of fun no defense being played exactly what you'd expect from an all-star game some really big dunks stuff like that uh, but the halftime show is really where things kind of get moving in the right direction i felt it was so amazing i'm glad they took as much time as they needed to really honor the guys from the all NBA 75 team. It was really tasteful. It was just really cool to see all those legends together, but it was really bittersweet seeing all the guys who have passed away. And especially the ones uh, I feel like most of them are, were around for the 50th year team. And just knowing that even less are going to be around for the 100 year team. It, it's just so important to take in these moments and really honor the guys uh, who have paved the way for this game. But as for the game, it was, like I said, a really fun game. We've got some spe spectacular dunks from Joss some really flashy passes from LaMelo and, and LeBron and all those guys. Giannis is always fun in these games because that dude just does not know how to not try in the and like even in an all-star game it looked like early on Embiid was kind of hunting for the MVP and really wanted it but then Steph just went nuclear he was absolutely on fire and for a guy who's probably had the worst shooting season of his entire life um, this might just be what gets him going down the stretch this might be the the spark that he needed to really get the shooting going again um, effort wise, I mentioned it's always questionable through the first three quarters in these all-star games. That's where you just get the big dunks, the fancy passes, 
alley-oops off the backboard, just the really fun stuff. And then down the stretch, the games just get really intense in the fourth, especially under the new format where it's more like a pickup game. And I think that's how this should be treated. You know, you're reaching a target score rather than having a clock. Uh, the intensity just got really high. All Everybody was going all out. You can tell once that fourth qu- quarter rolls around, they just can't help but really to go all out. I mean, Bucks fans had to be crapping their pants when they saw Giannis go up for a chase down block on Chris Middleton. Like if they had landed awkwardly there, that could have been a disaster for their season, but nothing ended up happening. Thank God. So, um, but yeah, they, they just can't help themselves from going there and they tried their best to get Curry the points record here, but it just wasn't meant to be. I feel like under a traditional game format where you've got a 12 minute fourth quarter as a as opposed to, first team to hit 24 for the quarter um or i guess that that's not actually how it works the team who is in the lead they add 24 to their score and that's the target score kind of complicated but it, it makes sense um i feel like it, anyways i feel like if it had been a traditional format he would have definitely gotten the points record i mean i think he had 50 and the record was 52 um, so they, they really tried to feed him the ball down the stretch, but the game was so close that they really couldn't just force feed Curry. They kind of had to win the game at some point. And it was very fitting, just a storybook ending that LeBron hits the game winner to seal, seal the all-star game on the 75th anniversary of the league. And in Cleveland, it just ended the weekend on a really high note. 